Welcome to Season 12 of the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Mitchell Hempel, the proud principal of E.E. Oliver Elementary School in Canada. One of the goals of this podcast is to share the stories and lessons from unsung educational heroes across the globe, and Mitchell is one of those unsung heroes. He was a wonderful guest and shared openly about the privileges and challenges of building a strong school community. In this discussion we talked about finding your purpose, learning to listen, and how to develop a cohesive school. It was a privilege to talk with Mitchell. I hope that you get as much out of this discussion as I did. Mitchell Hempel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for chatting with me. Where are you? Where are you phoning in from? I'm calling in from Fairview, Alberta, which is about five hours, I'm going to say, northwest of Edmonton. Right. If, uh, so, for for your listeners, that's uh, a long way up uh, right. from uh, <laughs> from the states. Well, we, we are a we are a long way down uh, from the states. Uh, we are, um, uh, like I said, I'm calling it from Sydney, Australia, in the bottom half of the world. And it still amazes me that I can have a conversation and see your face on the other side of the world. I have no idea how that happens, but it's uh, it really blows my mind. It is. It's amazing. Really, it truly is. Can I ask Mitchell uh, quite possibly the most important question for our conversation? Uh, what's your coffee order when I can finally zip up to uh, uh, the, the the great country of Canada and buy a coffee? The coffee order. I have this guilty pleasure of flavored coffee. So right now it's fall in uh, in Canada, so everything's pumpkin spice. Nice. So. I just drove from Edmonton to Fairview, which was a five-hour drive, and I stopped and had a pumpkin latte from Starbucks and at Tim Hortons, you know, a little pumpkin uh, spice added to my to my double-double. So anything with a little flavor is good for me. So we uh, we have... Um... We've got one Starbucks that's just opened in our local uh, mall or Westfield, as we call them, uh, and it's it's pretty popular. Um, is it is it uh, is it a real um, is it really popular in the states? Uh, we we don't. We... <laughs> it is. I'm going to use an expression. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. I I always say you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a Starbucks in the big cities. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we... so they're very popular. We, I, I love. I'm very fortunate to live near the beach, and we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of hipster coffee shops over here. Is that a thing that exists uh, uh, in Canada? They they try. We're more of the hipster breweries more than coffee shops, but right. uh, you you can find them, and and they are a nice treat to uh, to sit down and, and and to go in and just to just relax. And I'm a people watcher, Same. so. 
first of August, I flew to British Columbia and I went to the Atlantic, sorry, the Pacific Ocean. I'm, I'm so used to saying the Atlantic Ocean. I went to the Pacific Ocean for the first time. And that's what I did. I went into this little hipster coffee spot and just sat there, got some lemon bread and uh, enjoyed the view and probably sat there for 45 minutes and just took it all in. It's, it's, so those are the types of things that I, I like to do. Fantastic. And and Mitchell, we'll get into your amazing sea change in a moment. Uh, but but just before we do that, um, is there a book that you have read um, recently? It could be within your sphere of expertise or more broadly that has caused that has caused you to stop and reconsider a few things in your life. Okay, here's a confession. Um, when it comes to reading books, I am. A school principal, so the time is always a huge factor for me when it comes to finding time to to actually sit and to read. However, thank goodness, as we're talking about technology for audiobooks, and I said I just drove fifty five hundred kilometers. So, Atomic Habits was the is the latest one that I have listened to, um, and the author's name just left me. I want James, James Clear, I believe. James Clear, yes, that's right. And so he's the latest one. And again, I'm trying to get healthy. So I've, that's the, the Atomic Habits was a nice fit for, for me. And the other one that I've, I've actually listened to twice is by Dr. Jody Carrington. She's actually from Alberta here. And she has three books. Um, her latest one's called Feeling Seen, um, Teachers These Days and Students These Days. So those would be the, the last two or three books that I've actually listen to or have picked up and read so what's something from uh atomic habits that you are uh currently intrigued with or currently trying to adopt into your probably already quite crowded schedule i've someone asked someone else asked me that same question because i posted on facebook that i was reading it and they said what do you like about it and i said what it's doing is just reminded me of everything that i already know it's common sense Truly it is, you know, if you want to do something, you know, change your habit, make sure it's visual, for example, so you can actually see it all the time. If you're a guitar player, put the guitar in the room. If you are, you know, lifting weights, put the weights in the room where you are. Just basic common sense. Um, so that's what I liked about the book. It was just to say, okay, yes, I, I already know that. You know, it's like listening to your mother um, when you're when you're listening to him read the book to you. So yes, yes. I already know that, but it's, yes. it's just great reminders. Yeah, I, I read this quote the other day, and it was um, just a reminder your mother was right about everything. And uh, <laughs> it's it's something that I, uh, I I mean, I'm coming into my 40s, which is um, which kind of crept up quite quickly. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, I think it's a good reminder, isn't it? Um, and is there a is there an area in your life that you feel like you are currently under investing in that you would like to? Uh, you talked a little bit about fitness um, and health, but is there another area that you feel like you've um, respectfully maybe neglected that you currently want to, to revamp a little bit? Oh, I don't even know how to answer that question. There's so many, <laughs> there's so much stuff. Maybe reading. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Again, yeah. speaking of age, I'm 48 years old. Um, so, and I've been in education now for 26 years. So there's so much stuff that you can take the time to learn or, or to dive into yeah. and dig deeper. So that question to me is just, it's huge one. And again, with, yeah, maybe, a you know, when I, look, in itself, that when I look at my, the things that a school principal is supposed to do, 
back in New Brunswick, for example, is seven long sheets of legal papers, double-sided, and there's both, I'm going to say 300 different things that we can do or supposed to do. Yeah. So yeah, I can close my eyes, throw a dart at any one of those yeah, bullets and yeah. targets and say, okay, this is what I should dive into because there's just so much that you can yeah. do. And so, so. Um, Mitchell, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more, but um, how do you stay passionate because you like I said you've been teaching for 26 years um and and look respectfully that that's quite a long time um uh, many people that start teaching start at around that age um but how do you how do you keep passionate and keep excited about your job and has there ever been a time where you thought you were gonna give up and throw in the towel because not an easy job no, and this uh, this is a great question too. As, again, I've had this conversation recently with someone. I can probably count, and I'm going to say hand to God. I'm not exaggerating or lying. I could probably count on one hand the number of days that I did not want to go to work in 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 the profession. I absolutely love teaching. Um, I can remember being three years old. I, we grew up on a dairy farm, a small dairy farm, and I'm going to sound like a complete dork for even confessing to this but I would walk up and down the aisles with the cows and and talk to the cows like I was a teacher where, where did so, that come from were your parents teachers were no they of, weren't yeah um I have no idea like there was no one really in my immediate family that was teachers um but it's even, my nickname growing up even you know when I was three four five was the professor I have no idea where that came from but it's just always been a passion. And again, I remember getting an old chalkboard from our, from our elementary school. They were renewing the chalkboards. So they were throwing out a piece of chalkboard and my mom got it for me. And again, since I can remember, we I would always you know put that up against the couch or the wall and I would teach away like I was in my right mind type thing. So... It's always been a passion and it's, uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. Every day I love it. What is it that, um, what is it that you think is so special about teaching? Because I mean, people that are listening to this obviously won't be able to see your face and how you, you really lit up when you talked about why you love your job, but what, so I mean, just, here's, what an, here's an example. I just came over to the school to set up to do this interview. And I'm a very emotional. So <laughs> anyone who anyone who knows me is not going to be surprised if they if they ever listen to this. I get very emotional. So yeah. I've I've been in this school. It's a brand new school to me for two weeks, and I just came in. As I said, I took Friday. It was a PD day. Drove to Edmonton, so I wasn't in the building on Friday. So I just came in. And on my desk, there's two notes from two kids. So one says, "Hi, you are an amazing principal." Completely spelt wrong. The principal's A B L E on the end. It's from Sophia, I have I have no idea who Sophia is because yeah. again I've only been here for two weeks. So when I came in, again I started crying because these are here's kids, you know, writing me another one, and then I have another little note here. Again, this is brand new. It says Mr. Hempel, all beautiful colored, and on the back side it says you are welcome. And I have no idea. <laughs> why they're telling me that you are welcome but again this is this is huge like these again i've been here for two weeks and i have kids reaching out like this and as a teacher when you this this is why we do it right there because we make such a difference we make those connections with these kids 
And I've been struggling um, since the move, you know, asking the question, what is my purpose? Why am I in Fairview, Alberta? What, you know, I have many people telling me what my purpose is, but I haven't put it quite into words yet. But when I walk into my office and see two little notes like that, I'm, I'm be, you know, it's becoming more clear as to what my purpose is all about, for sure. Well, um, Mitchell, what do you think your, um, I mean, you mentioned that uh, you have pages and pages of job description, uh, of the job description for what a principal should be doing. Um, but if you could summarize that, what do you think your role is um, as a principal and as a school leader? In Imagine you're talking to a uh, a kindergarten, an audience that is a kindergarten. <laughs> How would you explain that? Well, I can tell you what, you know, I can give you the textbook question, what a school principal is supposed to be, supposed to do or supposed to be. But I'm going to give you my, my here's my secret. It's building, re oh, here we go. <laughs> it's building relationships with kids and building relationships with staff. If you can do that, you're golden. You are, you can do anything you can you know be a change agent you can whatever you set out to do whatever your school needs once you have built that relationship um you, that, that that's what it's all about and i said i've been doing administration now for 13 years i believe 12 or 13 years and this is my seventh school that i've been in and i have always been told how important it is um not how important it is but how much they have appreciated me because i build that relationships and i'm a great listener to what the school needs and what the staff needs and what the kids need so that's i feel is the is the role of the principal yeah and uh, mitchell so you're, you're two weeks into a job um you've got two uh unidentified notes on your desk i'm sure your email inbox is full to the brim um, and I'm sure there's a lot of things that you could be doing, but what do you think your focus is going to be for the next week, the next month, the next year um, at this school? What do you do now? You're sitting in the chair. How do you decide where to start and what to do? So one of the one of the great ED sessions I've ever done with a, with the staff is um, in Canada. We have we write re report cards, and in New Brunswick, it's um, we have 700 characters for math and literacy, for example, and it's strengths, needs, next steps. Yeah. So once I find what the strength of the school is, then I say, okay, what is you, you know, what is your needs? What are your wants? And what are we going to do for next steps to improve? Yeah. So that's what my job here is, and and I did that with the staff, listening to what they need, and communication is huge. So for the next, for the first two weeks, that's all I did. I sat and I listened. I've done a, a three-day training session years ago um, in a PD session in the summer called Developing Su Successful Successful Schools. Sorry, and it was all about listening. And as a school principal, when people come in through your door, people sh share and uh, people just share everything with you. It's amazing what they what they actually will share with you. Um, their you know their their hopes, their dreams, their their fears. So it's it's to me it's 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 a huge job and and just building as I, let me go back to that building relationships 
and uh, communicating with teachers and, and with staff what their needs and, and I said, their strengths, their needs and their wants. I think though, Mitchell, that's 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 easier said than done, isn't it? Because I'm sure when you walk into a role, there's, I mean, look, you can re- read all these leadership books and you can um, have all these ideas, but how do you actually sort of push pause and go, um, sorry, and, and exercise that discipline of listening? Because I think it's easier said than done, and I think it's a real hallmark of of great leaders, the people that were able to press pause. I'm telling you, there's, it's not an easy, not everyone can do it. Like you just said, it's a very challenging skill. Um, and I purposely will ask people questions to see how they respond because I want to see if they're truly listening. People are always talking, ready to talk even before the question's finished. So I've, I've worked with many and as a, as a school teacher, I'm thinking of a couple of administrators that I've had in the past that they never truly listened to what people were saying they were always trying to up the story so if you had an issue they they had the issue plus they had more more to the issue than what you always did right and and i would imagine um as well that when there's a new principal people have agendas and they want themselves to be heard and they have certain things that they think is really important so how do you yeah how do you kind of filter through that noise a little bit um as I said in our previous conversation, I love watching people and getting to know people. Again, I've worked now, as I said, with seven schools. I've probably been close to, I'm going to say, between three and 400 staff members that I've worked with over the years. So, and, and I always jokingly say nothing can surprise me anymore because of the, the amount of people I have worked with. But in all the schools that I have been in, all, all the teachers are the same. All the educational assistants are the same. All the kids are the same. So you know what you're going to get when you go into a building. They said, nothing surprises me anymore. And you and you can see the personalities. You can see them coming through the door. You know who has the big personalities. You know who you know, the quiet ones are. You know who the workhorses are going to be. You know who the artsy people are going to be. So you that's what that's the joy of this job is that you are, you know, working with in this school, for example, 25 to 35 people. And it's trying to find all of their little quirks and their passions and their skill set and putting it all together. So it's it's that's the fun part of for me, I guess. So how, um, Mitchell, do you build an executive team? Because there's obviously different levels of leadership. Well, and I'd love you to unpack maybe what you do in terms of building your your, your kind of key reports or executive team, how you build your staff, um, and also how you build that relationship with your students. So how do you begin to build that trust um, with your, I guess, your direct reports? I guess the biggest thing is once they realize that you're in it for the same reason they're in it, it certainly uh, makes it a whole lot easier. And as I said, you can find those people who are passionate, but I've always learned too, Matt, is that you want everybody um, from all different walks on your team. You don't want people who are thinking just like you. You want to get as many different ideas and you want those people who are going to challenge you. Again, I can think of so many over the years that, you know, wouldn't matter if I walked in with a million dollars and offered all in the hundreds, they'd they'd want it in five and tens. So you just, you know, those people that exist and you want them on your team because they're going to poke holes in anything that you're going to do. Um, But again, when they realize that if you are a true change agent, you're going to take it slow. 
You're going to make everyone aware of why we're doing things and how it's going to look. And it's, it's, it can be quite seamless and can be quite easy if you're properly, you know, properly prepared for, for the personalities that you're going to take on in, on your team. But I, I always like that challenge of getting the people who, who are going to work with you, for you, against you. They're, they're all important. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really important. And and I think as well, Mitchell, that's a whole another podcast episode in itself. It's how do you build an executive team? Absolutely. And and I think um uh, just before we um I asked you a little bit about your um sort of your, your career and your upbringing, uh, um I'd love to um ask what you think your first role is with students. Um, so how do you? I'm sure that I know the demands in my role. I'm a school leader. I'm not a, a school principal. Um, but I'm a school leader. I know one of the things I find really difficult is to actually find time to do my leadership stuff <laughs> because quite often um, uh, it's your school stuff tends to be done outside of hours because the time that you're at school is there for your students. Um, do you sort of struggle with that balance or how do you um, how do you prioritize kids when you're at school? Because I could imagine your job would be endless if you allowed it. So one thing I've learned over the years is that again, with with kids, they're only in the building for the the time, you know, from the first bell to the end of the bell. So if you're going to do anything with kids, you have to do it while they're here. Of course, it's hard to do it after work. So to me, that's the that's when I'm constantly roaming the hallways and classrooms. Um, one of my again key successes is being proactive versus reactive. Um, I've been here for two two weeks, and there has not been a student sent to the office yet um, because I'm in the hallways and in the classrooms. So they, they don't have an opportunity to get here because, you know, it's funny. I was on a bike ride, and I first got into town, and I met a kid on a trail, and he said, I'll be in your office lots. And I said, well, I probably won't see you because I'm never in my office. And so he's a grade six student but he you can even see him processing that and he was with his grandfather and his grandfather gave me a wink and he said i like that answer a lot um and so yeah just being proactive and not sitting in your office and when you're in the classrooms you know they don't know when you're coming or you know they can hear me from my dress shoes probably that okay he's coming so let's straighten up or smarten up type thing and the same with the teachers they don't same thing. They just love when you're in their classrooms because, again, they speak to the fact that, well, Mr. Hempel could be right around the corner, whatever the case may be. So that, to me, building relationships with kids is important because you have happy teachers, happy kids, happy principal. It's, it's so easy. I, I have the privilege, Mitchell, of working in a just a, a phenomenal school. It really is a... Um... It really is a lighthouse in our community, and I talk I talk about this a lot with my um, wonderful principal. Is like sometimes we, it's hard to quantify the things that we have um, prevented from happening. If that makes sense, and so my job, I feel like we are. I'm constantly investing into relationships with staff, students, and parents. It might be a thank you card that I sent to a parent. It might be a a phone call. It might be a a way that we try and change that perception of the school. Like I don't want parents to see the school phone number and go oh my gosh what has my kid done now yeah absolutely feel excited but it is also difficult to kind of quantify the success of that um because you can't measure what you've prevented if that makes sense i don't know if you if you agree in any way or it's hard to know what no that's that, that's perfect as, as you're saying that it reminds me i had the opportunity um to see george caros i don't know if you know george yeah. or not yeah. he's another one he's originally from alberta um 
he, so he is now living in. He's booked on shortly, so I'll look forward to have, sharing that discussion with you. He's uh, living in Florida now, yeah. but I had the opportunity to, to see him in Baltimore. And the message that George had um, that I took away from that, one of the main messages was you always put so much positive out there that when something negative does happen, no one notices. Yeah. And I mean, so that's one thing I do with social media. Um, not so much this school yet, but my last school just spew the positive. So it almost makes you sick because it's so I was said everything's rainbows and kittens and people just say, oh, here he goes again type thing. But again, they love it. And you have every right as a school principal to brag about what your kids are doing and what your staff's doing. Um, and I know other schools in my in the area that I was, they think they I know they get annoyed at me because of the positive things that I'm constantly spewing out. Um, for example, I always bring a food truck into the first week of school and the last week of school. Again, you're not supposed to have food trucks because it's against policy. But I have a generous donor who says, you know, spoil your kids, Mitchell, spoil your kids, spoil your kids. So I said, okay. You said, let's do a food truck. So every kid got a hamburger, French fries, like deep fried French fries. Okay. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And I had the Paw Patrols. I had a friend who had connections okay. with Paw Patrol characters. So I get Paw Patrols coming into my school. So that's the stuff that just excites me. And I know my colleagues get annoyed with me. And that feeds me too, <laughs> to be honest. But again, since okay. COVID met with, the thing that I have found um, when I went through school, and we're talking about in the 80s and 90s, the community would look after your school. Since COVID, schools have looked after the communities, um, especially with my school. It was a rural school. Um, Social economics was, you know, very high poverty, um, working class, paycheck to paycheck. But again, we during COVID, the same general generous donor donor, sorry, um, we paired up with a local diner and we were sending lunches out every day um, from the diner. Love that. So that's what again, that's what fuels me. Um, as I stated before, if you have happy, happy kids, bellies are full, they're gonna come to school, they're going to learn something, they're gonna take away something. The teachers can actually get some you know, some of the curriculum covered because the kids are behaving themselves. Um, it's, it's just, a, it, to me, it's so simple when when you can do that. Um, yeah, it's, I love it, that. everyone has, not everyone can, not everyone can do that so smoothly. Yeah. And I wish I could put it into better words. But yeah. <laughs> at this point, that's, that's what I, that's what I, that's my come to Jesus moment. The last couple of years is, you know, how how schools are now looking after communities. It's Look, sad, I, but yeah. but thankfully we can do that. Uh, Mitchell, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I've had the privilege, the absolute privilege of working uh, in some really low socioeconomic areas, um, predominantly in Southwest Sydney. Um, we uh, For about 10 years, I worked um, as an EALD coordinator so teacher and a refugee um a new arrival teacher so basically students that had just arrived in our oh, great wow. country um and it was it was wonderful and now i have the privilege of working in a, a a very different community but still in many ways quite uh disadvantaged 
And one of the many things that I have learned um, uh, at the school that schools that I've been at is that um, if students are fed, uh, we run breakfast clubs, we run, uh, we, we're very fortunate to be an Apple distinguished school. Um, and so we have access to some really great resources. Um, but it's just getting the basics right, isn't it? It's a smile, it's being fed and students feeling like they belong. And it, it's amazing, isn't it, that um, it's actually not, we're, we're actually not in the business of education, are we? You're in the business of well-being. <laughs> no. um, yeah. yeah. Would probably you agree say that? that but yeah. Probably shouldn't say that, but in, in reality, and I, and I have said so many times, like no one has ever taught this to me in principal school like the, the things that we are doing behind the scene. Um, like the other, when I first went to my old school, um, the, the kids did not know even how to really throw a ball. So I bought ball gloves. I remember I bought 13 ball gloves and it was so funny to watch them take them out onto the soccer field and try to play catch. Um, recently, I think it was been two years ago now, I bought um, Strider bikes for K to two kids because um, the kids did not know how to ride bikes. So then I bought, I think I'm up to 13 or 15 mountain bikes for the middle school kids. Love so that. talk about, you know, building relationships with kids when they know, okay, if I have a good, you know, a good morning, I'm going to go to the office and say, Mr. Hempel, can I have the keys to the bike shed? Cause I'm going to go biking. And that's building that positive relationship with kids. And again, grant writing and I, I've lost count of how much money I brought into that school. I'm, I'm going to say it's probably about a quarter of a million dollars um, through, you know, in-kind volunteer resources. Um, but again, these kids deserve it. They they need all the basic stuff that, you know. Yeah. Anyway, it's. No, I, I think I think you're so right. They need the. They need the tools to be engaging, to be able to engage in learning. I mean, let's just, I mean, really simply, if you don't have sharp pencils and organized classroom, if you don't have technology that works, that's an extra barrier that kids need to um, overcome in order to engage in the learning. And I think what you're doing is, is wonderful, um, is that you are reducing any barriers for your kids to be able to engage. And also, like, I like the feeling, and I'd love to unpack this a little bit more. Um, I like the feeling that if kids aren't at school, that they feel like they're missing out because school should be the best places on earth. And I had this conversation <laughs> way back in episode one with a um, a wonderful um, mentor and friend, um, Richard Gerver. Um, he does some amazing things in um in schools in the UK. And he said that schools should be like Disneyland every day. Um, that you have no problem getting kids to Disneyland. So why do we have problems getting kids? To um, and <laughs> exactly. and what, what sort of impact do you think these, these programs that you have have on things like attendance, on well-being, on um, educational outcomes? What, what, what are some of the things that you've seen in your experience? Well, one of the, one of the, there's an example that's coming to mind right now. A grandmother came up to came after about half an hour before school was done to pick up her grandson. And when the grandson came to the office to sign out, he was upset. He was angry that Grammy came and picked him up because he was having so much fun at school. So like, and again, I can remember the conversation. I can remember the kid's name and the admin assistant and I, we just started laughing afterwards. And the grandmother, you know, she joked with us afterwards too. She said, this is amazing. 
Um, again, it's not because of what I was doing, but it's because the whole school team was doing. Like we were having fun, you know, and that's one of my, I have five or six rules and safety, building relationships, transparency, but fun is always at the top of the list oh. because with kids, kids love coming to school. I have staff who love coming to school. Every morning, um, I'm, I make breakfast with uh, a couple of volunteers. Um, I have the music pumping, and and this is what I miss about my old school. <clears throat> I'm going to get emotional again. But I'd have the, the music blaring in the morning, and I had a, a teacher who would dance the entire way down the hallway, just like a crazy loon, and we would laugh and laugh and laugh. But that was an every day. It wasn't just on Fridays. It just wasn't on, you know, yeah. a Thursday before a long weekend. It was every single day. And... The kids knew it. The kids could feel it. The parents could feel it. The anyway, it's just amazing. Op- but it's so simple to me, Matt. It's so simple. It's free. Music's free. <laughs> the joy is free. Yeah. And and can I can I ask Mitchell firstly? How do you like? Because look, I'm sure there's things that happen in your life outside of school that are challenging, that are um, that are difficult. Um, how do you make sure that you rock up to school? Sorry, that's an Australian term. How do you make sure you turn up uh, every day to school with excitement and passion? Because I've heard that that teaching and especially being a principal is one of the hardest acts on earth. So how do you how do you make sure that you bring what you need to bring for your team? Because I'm sure there's moments where you sit in your car and you're like, "What I'm feeling now isn't what I need to be for my team." So. Let's flip that switch. But yeah, sorry, that was quite a long-winded question. Um, and just like everyone else, I've, you know, there's some personal stuff that's happened the last last few years. And school was my escape from my, you know, I want to say from my reality of what was happening outside of school. Um, and then with COVID and whatnot. So school to me was, I was, uh, I don't know what, what the term is, but for me, school was everything. Work was everything. So I was putting a lot into it. And um, But there are those days when you sit in the car and, like, for example, if you're listening to the, the news on the way to work and it gets you down from, you know, I could do a whole po- podcast on politics and education. Um, the, you know, the more you know, the, the more disappointed that you get is uh, definitely a lesson that I've, I've learned with politics and education. Um, but the same thing, I would, you know, always each morning I would look for a positive quote. I would often send some quotes out to staff that, you know, I would know that someone was struggling with something. So I'd send a little funny or some reflective piece that, you know, that someone I is always very intentional is what I'm trying to say. Um, so I'd have to internalize that and do that for myself in the mornings or I always look for a little joke or a positive quote or listen to a quick little podcast um, to, you know, change my mindset. And as I've said, I've, I've faked, faked it till you make it a lot. And yeah, it's uh, showing up for the team because they're looking, they're looking for, for leadership. And again, you, you, you just make it happen. Yeah, I, I think that's so uh, true, Mitchell. I mean, there's been so many, not so many times, there's been a number of occasions where I've just had to flick a switch and go, I need to be who my team needs me to be today. And it's really difficult. Um, um, 
Mitchell, I was just wondering, uh, is there or was there a teacher that really made a difference um, in your life? And have you had the opportunity to thank them? Absolutely. Um, it's so I again, I started school in 1980. So a few years ago, um, and my very first year teacher, Miss Steves, um, just I just recently thanked her, I'm going to say probably two weeks ago um, through, you know, with Facebook, you know, you can reach out to to anybody and everybody. But I'm going back to that school that I, my first school that as a student, the principal was um, going to get emotional. He was amazing principal. He was hands on. Um, just he also taught and I'm a, I'm a teaching principal as well and i i'm honestly going to say and, I, and i've shared this with another friend before i would often say what would mr wetmore do in a situation like this but again i would have been five to ten years old in that school but those are the things that i was taking in taken in as a student which is probably bizarre <laughs> maybe most kids are doing you know things but i would notice things like that um one cool thing again it was a small school mr wetmore taught us math so i remember sitting up front and when the office phone would ring he would send me in to answer the phone because the admin assistant was probably in the library he was teaching math so he would just go answer the phone um my mom at the time to get into um some personal stuff your mom was a very hard worker she would often work three jobs she was she would start her morning off on, on the school bus and then she, she was also the cafeteria worker for example um i can remember we would oftentimes be the first ones in the school and the phone would be ringing and i would go up and answer the phone you know debeck elementary and it would be a bus driver that ran off the road and there was no one else in the, in the building so i'd go down and get the custodian so I've been playing. I've been playing school for a long time, but again, those are the things that I remember. And just growing up in that environment, and I, I guess I'm, I recreate that for the last twenty six years. It worked for me, and I loved it, and so right. that's what I've been doing. And, and what was it particularly about uh, Mr. Wetmore that really impacted you? Uh, was it what he taught you? Was it how he made you feel? Was it the what, what it was, was the, just that relationship that? thing. He, it was like when we would go outside, he was sometimes a phys ed teacher. We'd go outside and we'd be playing soccer and he was always playing soccer with us. He wasn't standing on the sidelines blowing his whistle. You know, he was playing, we were playing softball. Um, and again, it was a small community. There was one grade per class. So it was the teachers, we just knew everybody. And it was just an amazing environment. But again, the five, six, seven, eight-year-old student probably shouldn't be picking up on school climate and culture, but but I did. And so, you know, it's all on the cellular level. So I'm recreating that 26 years later. I love that. And and it really, it really goes back to what we're saying before is that our, our job really isn't um our primary role, sorry, really isn't education, it's well-being. And I, I had the privilege of the privilege of interviewing uh, my year three teacher or third grade teacher, Mrs. Taylor Jones on the podcast. And I, we were going through. I've heard you mention her name yet. Yeah. We were going through a family separation at the time. And I, I have no idea what this wonderful lady taught me. She probably taught me a bit of fractions, a bit of, bit of writing, a little bit of reading, 
But what I did remember is how I felt when I walked through her doors every single day. And I'm I'm not special. I'm sure she did that with every other student in her class. In fact, we have a Facebook group. Um, this was over in England, so it's quite a long way away where I went to school. But we have a Facebook group where um, all of the students in that class are in there um, and they all share the same experience. And so my experience oh, awesome. with Mrs. Taylor Jones was that I felt known, I felt valued, I felt cared for. And I'd, like I said, I had the privilege of talking to her a number of years later and um, she had no idea, like genuinely no idea. Um, and no. when I finally met up with her, my mum still lives uh, next door to the school in, in, in rural England. And when I finally saw her, I went over with my wife and we did a bit of a tour and I, I just gave her this really awkward hug and just held on to her and just started <laughs> crying. And it was snot everywhere and tears and my wife said look that that really wasn't cool uh but it just <laughs> it just goes to show though the, the impact of teachers and and every person that I've interviewed on this podcast every person um has said that uh, what they've said about their favorite teacher is how they remember how they felt it has nothing to do with content it has nothing to do with lessons it's how they felt and so I think teaching really does have the power to transform lives it really does it, it, and it does. And, and and it hurts to think of those who are not truly in it for the right reason. And not that there's a lot of those people, but there are some. And to me, it's the same as the school's administrators. When you see them, you know they're not in it for the right reason. Yeah. Um, I treat my staff like a like a classroom. Those are my they're my kids. Some of them are older than me, but again, I, they're, they're my kids. I want them to feel special. I want them to come to work every day because if they don't come to work every day, then I'm out, Yeah, you know, I have to find the supply teacher or I have to sub. So I want them to come to work happy. As, and I've said this before, the happy teachers, happy kids, happy principal. And it's so, our job is so important because we spend, they spend six, seven, eight hours a day with us. And anyway, yeah, and it's not a job that I take take you know the responsibility lightly. I know what an important job um, leading a school is or, or teaching is. Such a, it's a huge job. It's so huge. Yeah. Did Did you ever sort of did you always think you would become a principal, uh, or is it something which you kind of moved? I mean, it seems inevitable looking back uh, when I think about the time on the dairy farm and the time organizing things. But was there a point that you, yeah, did you, did you ever think that you would, you would become a school leader or did that sort of happen by quote unquote accident? It's, it's a funny story. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're, if you ever watched the movie or the, the show Suits, when I say Mike Ross, the fake, the fake lawyer. Yes. <laughs> so I've always been, <laughs> so this is the story. Um, our local community was struggling to find a vice principal at the elementary school. The the, the, the principal moved on to become the director of education for our, our district. Um, so they could, really couldn't find a principal. So the brand new vice principal went out to be principal and then, then they couldn't find a VP. So at that time, I was actually doing resource. I was teaching grade 10 math four periods a day for 10 years. I, so it got a little monotonous to me. So I needed to change. So I switched over and did some um, resource. Um, resource and methods is what it was called. Now it's called education support teacher resource. So I did that for a year and a half. And the job ad was posted again for the vice principal. Uh, 
So I'm sitting in my cubicle doing IEPs, SEPs, whatever they're called all over the world. So the email came in and I said, so I wrote as, I think it might've been two sentences. Said, see that you're struggling to find a vice principal. I'm interested, send. Probably, again, that was back in 2012. So it's been a few years ago. But the email came back fairly quickly and said, can we meet today at four o'clock? So at that time, I said, oh, wow. oh I'm going <laughs> to yep. say, oh, shit. What, <laughs> what did I just do? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I went down to district office at four o'clock, met with the acting superintendent, director of education. And by 10 after four, quarter after four, I was the new vice principal at an elementary school. Never, ever, ever have I stepped foot in an elementary school. I've never supply taught in an elementary school. I've never done administration. I have, it was all brand spanking new. So yeah, a week later, I'm now the vice principal of an elementary school. So that's how that happened. Wow. So I'm, I'm a new, I'm a vice principal. I'm teaching grade two, what was it? Grade two art, grade one phys ed, grade four math. And I'm a school administrator. Wow. So when I said that Mike Ross was suits, I was a fake administrator for, I'm going to say about for a year and a half until I got all my qualifications. So I just doing wow. the module and the coursework and all that stuff. So, wow. but again, I, I always said, if I can do that, going from grade 10 math to teaching kindergarten, grade one phys ed and grade two art, I can do just about anything. So tell me a little bit, Mitchell, about the about the process of becoming a principal over in Canada, because I'm sure it's uh, maybe a little bit different uh, to uh, to Australia. So is there a we we have different levels of a, of accreditation? Um, they're not mandatory um, to go through, but at some point they may be linked to things like pay scales and so on and so forth. But basically, how our school works is that we have a group of teachers, we have assistant principals, which are people like myself, which are really a stage coordinator. Um, and then in larger schools, we have deputy principals, which tend to look after a lot of the uh, administrative workplace health and safety policy procedures, all of that kind of stuff. And we also have a curriculum. We're very fortunate to have curriculum advisors for literacy and numeracy. Um, and then we have our principal who sits in part of the executive leadership team. Um, sorry, the senior executive team. Is that similar uh, to in Canada? I mean, is there a is there sort of mandatory accreditation to become a school leader over there? Or how does that process work? Yeah, so it's all very, I'm going to say parallel to, to your system we, here in, in Canada. So we would have, you know, um, when I first graduated from high school and went into education, it was back then was a four-year BED program at, at the university. Now you need, you know, a certain uh, like an arts degree or science degree, then go into education. And, and sorry, um, so what, it, what's a BED program? Is that like an undergraduate? That's a bachelor of education. Oh, bachelor. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so that was a four. Yeah. So that was a four-year education degree, and that's what I did. Right. Um, I said it was the last year that they actually did it. So when I graduated from university, I had a four-year university degree and went right into teaching. So I started teaching when I was twenty-two, and then since then I've gone back and, and upgraded and got a so. With a four-year degree, it was a Cert four. You get another degree, you get a Cert five. You get a master's, and that's a Cert six. So, with to become a principal, you can get your master's in leadership, 
But in New Brunswick, for example, where I'm from and spent 25 years of my first part of my career, you would have to take three um, university courses, graduate level courses, you know, evaluation, supervision, assessment, um, like a curriculum development type course. And the province has six modules that you would have to complete. Um, school law, school improvement planning, um, PLCs, um, UD, UDL type modules. Um, so it's just, it's probably similar around the world, but again, they make sure that you have those yes. things checked off before they give you a principal certificate. We're similar now. We have a, um, I work for the Department of Education in New South Wales, and that's a state-based education system. Um, we obviously have, um, we have a national curriculum, but then that gets interpreted at a state level. Um, but within that, we have, uh, say, the New South Wales Leadership Institute, uh, which has kind of mandatory modules that all um, okay. principals need to do. Um, I did my master's down in Melbourne, but it's not mandatory, um, but just really useful. And so I think we, we are maybe moving towards that um, uh, more of a, um, a, a, not a regulated, more of a structured uh, development of leaders in schools, which I think is really, really important. But do you have a a national based curriculum in Canada, and then you'd interpret it at the state level, or how does that how does that work? Sorry, not are the um, you don't call them states, do you? Call them provinces here. Provinces, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I stated before, I could do a whole podcast around politics and education. Um, so I'm in currently in Alberta. Um, so they have just revamped, for example, the the math curriculum um, from K to six. Mm -hmm. um, so there, you know, the scandal behind that. So um, we have done the same. <laughs> it, and again, it's so it's so funny to, you know, as I said, twenty five years in in New Brunswick. So that curriculum, and then I come to a, another province. So the concepts are the same, obviously, but the you know, where they're doing them is is very different. Uh, I've taught math for 25 years, and I'm now teaching a grade six math here in Alberta, and I'm teaching coordinate geometry, for example. And I didn't teach coordinate geometry until really in grade nine, hardcore in grade nine um, math. So it's just, it's all over the place. In grade six, I guess, in New Brunswick, he introduced it a little bit. But it's just, it's so different, and again, it's depending on the on whatever government's in, um, what you know. The science of reading is a big thing right now. There's Hagerty and there's Fontes and Pinnell. Like that, there's just so much. Um, I'm trying to remember the podcast that I watched behind Fontes and Pinnell. That yeah, we're, we're, we're exactly the same, Mitchell. We are exactly the same, and there, there's a lot of changes. And I think it's important. Um, and my hope is that with our discussion today, that people kind of get back to the basics of why why <laughs> we do. And I think what you said before is something, you said something along the lines of full bellies, happy kids, great schools. And I think that's pretty, that pretty much yeah. summarizes, I think, our wonderful profession. Yeah. And uh, Mitchell, I did want to be respectful of your time. So I just have a couple more questions uh, to ask. Um, firstly, what is it uh, that you love so much about maths? So we say maths, you say math. Um, so for our Northern Hemisphere listeners, I'll ask that question again. What is it that you love so much about math? Um, it's always, it was one of the subject areas going through school that I always, you know, was very confident and comfortable in. Um, one thing I've learned in teaching it, that's the, the subject I've taught in my entire 
career is that you always come across those kids or parents that absolutely despise and hate math. Yes. So that's a, that's a challenge of mine is to get them excited about something okay. when it comes, you know, so that what it boils down to. That's why I like it so much because it's one of those subjects where people say, you know, you either love it or you hate it. Mm. There's no, oh yeah, I don't mind it, but well, so I, it's always I, been a challenge of mine. I love that. So I, that's I, why I, I like it. I absolutely hated it at school. Absolutely. And my, my maths teacher hated it. And I just thought there was no <laughs> point in doing this subject, but um, I'm currently doing a, a specialization in primary maths and um and it's just amazing. And 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 um we're really um I have the wonderful, I'm a little bit nervous about this, but I have the wonderful Professor Joe Bowler coming on at the end of the week to talk about um uh some of the the work that she's been doing around these big ideas in maths. She's out of Stanford, and this idea that maths is this wonderful, interconnected, useful. <laughs> um subject <laughs> uh, I, I know especially in primary school I can't talk about high school in terms of how that's structured but I just felt so ripped off because I remember thinking where was this subject when I was in primary school um because yeah. it's not my experience and for me getting to change some of those perceptions around maths with our kids has been a real it's been a real privilege but I felt angry for a year or so because I thought where was this uh when I was in school yeah and, yeah. and I always question Matt, when's the best time to teach? Because I'm now teaching math and I'm thinking, even to this day, I'll teach a concept and, and I'll say, where was this, you know, yeah. Yeah. 25 years ago? Because I can think about this kid in this classroom, you know, really could have used this explanation and I never thought about it before. Yeah. Um, so you, you do. And, and again, through the world of Facebook, there's still a, a kid that I taught math in grade 10 and she still will jokingly say how much she disliked math, but she will thank me on a regular basis for, for me. And I said to her, one of the very first days I met her, she said, I hate math. And I said, I don't care if you hate math. I'm going to drag you across the finish line, kicking <laughs> and screaming. So you might as well pretend you like it because I'm, I'm getting you there. Yeah. And she still laughs about that to this day. Yeah. And but again, it's just getting the, you know, going to the basics and you have to find something that they are, can be successful at. And then you build upon that. Um, Mitchell, uh, we have a mutual uh, colleague, uh, hero uh, in Andy Hargraves. Uh, can you maybe um, share what your, I mean, he's a fellow, uh, a fellow Canadian. I'm sure you're very, very proud of him. Probably one of your finest exports, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. but, um, uh, tell me a little bit about some of the work that you've done with Professor Andy Hargraves and also, um, um, yeah, what sort of impact has, had, has that had on you professionally? I first met um, Andy, I'm going to call him Andy because I, I feel like calling him anything else would um He would be not upset at that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yes. That's why I call him Andy. So I went to Banff, um, Alberta last year to you lead 2022, I believe it was. Um, and he was the, one of the keynote speakers. So that was really the first time I got to listen to Andy talk. And Andy has written, I think he's probably at 1 billion books. If you follow him, he's got a book, a book a day that comes out almost. Um, and I just ordered his his newest one um, with both the middle leadership. I'm very excited to read that. But he spoke at the as, as a keynote and he's got that British accent 
and you, I could listen to him talk for hours and hours and hours. Um, he's just a brilliant mind and to me speaks everything in common sense. So I had the opportunity, um, last June to do a proposal. He did what was called the Canadian Playful School Network. And it was through Lego Canada and the University of Ottawa. It was basically looking at getting kids to play. So I did up a proposal and I remember sitting with my book and I said, oh yeah, I recognize this Andy fella. So I remember taking notes that you lead and I went to that section in my book and said, okay, there's Andy's keynote. And I was using all of Andy's words in my proposal for this Canadian Playful School Network. And I thought, this is golden because I actually have the guru, Andy's words. I'm using them against them at this point. Love it. And I actually had this opportunity to share with him what I did. And he just started laughing. He said, well, Mitchell, I actually didn't even read the proposals, but he, he liked how I did that. Yeah. Um, so it was one of 40 schools across Canada. I don't know how many schools actually apply, but if you stop and think of that stat, um, one in 40 schools across Canada that I was successful at beginning, you know, to take this study on through Lego Canada. And so we worked really hard at, you know, that mindset of playful school. So we built a trail system in our backwoods of our school. And Andy and a graduate student actually came to our school for an afternoon. Actually, I'm going to say most of the day. And we just sat down and we talked and had an opportunity again to just listen to Andy speak. And it was a it was an amazing opportunity. And since then, you know, I've had two or three conversations where we just sat down and we had breakfast together and we talked to, it's very similar to this podcast where you just throw out a topic and you have, you know, you're sharing your ideas and your values and your core oh. beliefs. It's just amazing. So I think the world of, of, of Andy and I just actually emailed him the first of the week and he is in, I think he's heading to the Netherlands um, in April. So I jokingly said that I was going with him. He didn't return the email and say, yes, come along, but I'll try again and see if, he, if I can uh, <laughs> hitch a ride with Andy, which would be an amazing opportunity. Yeah, like I think, um, yeah, I, and, and I know he would be sort of embarrassed us talking this much about him, but but I think um, I think he's just an incredible asset to our wonderful profession, and not just locally, um, but globally. And and I have, um, I don't go back and listen to any podcast that I record because uh, I don't like the sound of my voice, but I do my one exception uh is the podcast with andy and we talked we had this i, I thought we were going to talk about like policy and procedure and all of these things and yeah. we did but the thing that we talked most about was how being a grandfather had just changed his life and how that given how this that had given him a brand new focus in education and so um i think that's really i think that's really important and he's just a wonderful um uh, a wonderful human being and um like I said, I'd, I'd, I'm just about to order his new book. So thanks for the heads up. Now, in the last conversation that we had, he was on the road a lot. And, the, and his focus was to just to get home to see his wife. And so he's very much a family man. And okay. so 
we talked about that. You know, he definitely has that family balance, work balance, I believe, figured out. So, yeah. And, 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 sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, please. No, I'm just saying he's he jokingly he's he said he I think he's 72 years of age, and you would not know that that man is 72. He's hiking all over the world, um, but again, he has that fine balance of work health, family. So he's someone that you can definitely look up to and, and to respect for for everything that he's done for education, for sure. I think on that, he's just a great example that it is like, it is possible. I mean, it is possible <laughs> to like, um, to be extremely esteemed in your profession. It is, it is possible to make a difference. It is also possible to not run yourself into the ground um and it is possible to like actually enjoy your family and i think it's it i think that was the thing i think you really hit the nail on the head there i think it, it really hit me just the um he's just great, now, great here's example. a here's a funny yeah here's a funny story about andy i i almost did kill andy um when that he was is, at our this school this is a great segue by the way and this is great <laughs> when he was at our school um, another thing that I did, I did a grant and we got five, five grand, for example, and the, the hired someone to come in and teach our middle school kids how to cook, how to prepare food, how to serve food. And so the day that Andy was, came to our school with the Canadian Playful School Network, she was there and we were doing a turkey dinner <laughs> that the kids prepared. And Andy said to me, I'm allergic to garlic. Right. So I said, well, there's no garlic in chicken dinner. Like mashed potatoes corn and chicken so i said we're good so he was scooping gravy and he just happened to ask the student that was making the gravy he said there's no garlic in this is there and she said yes there is so i had uh, basically told him not to worry about anything and help yourself to all of it so yeah i could have killed him right there so well, I, I'm I'm glad that you're um, I'm glad you didn't. Uh, yeah, so thank you, thank you for not. Um, look, uh, Mitchell, I could honestly I could talk to you um, for hours, and I'm sure at some point, I mean, I'd love to do a, I would love to do a round two, and I'm I'm so grateful that you uh, just for your generosity today in in sharing your, um, your expertise, but also your 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 passion um, just for um, building great schools. And I've just got one more question or two more questions for you. Um, if I was sitting down with you, I've just finished university and I'm, I'm about to step into the classroom for the first time, what would be a, a, a short piece of advice that you'd give me, um, so that I would love my job in 10, 20, 30 years time? So I just came back from Edmonton with the beginning teachers conference. Um, I'm, I felt odd sitting there again. I'm 48 years old, 26 years of experience. I'm sitting in a room of 400 beginning teachers. And anytime I had the opportunity to speak to the table that I was sitting at, I would stress the importance of make connections um, with colleagues, make connections with your subject coordinators. You mentioned about your math literacy people we, here in New Brunswick, and we call them our coordinators. Make connections with those people. Make friends with everybody. Do not re reinvent the wheel. Everything is out there. Steal what you can from your colleagues, you know, from the internet. It's, right. you know, work smarter, not harder. It's, it's, a, it's a people business. And again, the more people you have in your corner, 
it's amazing how you can rely on your team. I have a, a very small group of people that I can call up and just vent to and have conversations with. And that's, to me, that's crucial as well. Um, both of them work for the Department of Education in New Brunswick, for example, but I can call them any, any time of the day and just vent and share. And they very quickly will snap me into reality. But those are the people that you need. And especially if you're beginning this profession, I always joke and say, you're, you have to be crazy to be a teacher, That's which true. makes it, which makes it fun, right? If you're a little bit crazy yeah. and you, have you to can be have nuts. fun. And as I said, I, it's, it's an amazing, amazing profession. And you have no idea how lucky you are to be in this profession. Absolutely. And if um. Would the advice be similar if I was sitting down with you and I was about to step into the school as a principal for the first time, or would you add anything else? The thing that I would add to to be a school principal, and this may sound weird for me even to say this, but you have to like people. And you have to... It's true. You have to have that... <laughs> I said, I feel ridiculous for even saying that because I've worked with some that I don't, I don't know if they even like themselves, to be honest, but you have to, you have to like people and you have to be that mindset that you're always there to coach up and not to coach out. Like, why would you want to have anyone in your building that you wouldn't want there or not willing to put the time in to, to work with them? The, the quote I've used a lot, and again, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but that CEO where they have fear of putting money into the their clients or into their employees, and then they leave. And then it's followed up, if we don't put the money into the employees and they stay. To yeah. me, that's, that's right. always been so clear. Yeah, Regardless of who's in your building, give them the resources that they need give them the professional learning, the professional development that they need and that they that they want. And as I said, going back to that original strengths, needs, next steps, what does your staff need? And be there for them. Like Amazing. you are, as a school leader, you have a huge responsibility to make sure that your teachers are coming to school that want to be there. They want to teach because as I said, it's, a, it's an amazing profession. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. Amazing. Look, uh, Mitchell, I couldn't um, agree more. And that seems like a wonderful, um, a wonderful place to wrap up our conversation. And as I said, I would love to um, do a, a deep dive around two um, at some point in the future. It's been a, yeah, a huge privilege to speak to you. Thank you so much for taking the time um, out of your schedule. And I, I wish you all the best in your new school. They're very lucky to have you. I appreciate that. And I'm always looking for my next, my next placement. So uh, you never know. We could uh, we could sit down in a in a coffee shop very very soon in uh, in Sydney and uh, be colleagues. I would love that. Uh, Sydney's it's pretty beautiful. I'm telling you, I'm about to take my little one to the beach. Uh, we're going to go to the opera house tomorrow. To she wants to go inside and have a look, and it, it's a it's a really beautiful country. But I'm um, yeah, I'm so fortunate. Like I said, that that through mediums like this, we get to. Um, our, my audience gets to learn from some of the great work that you're doing and, and to really um, uh, think about those common threads that unite really great educators. So as I said, I couldn't be more grateful for you taking the time and, uh, and please stay in touch. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.